You're going out there to destroy them. That's the plan. All right, I'm in. The first time she survived the most terrifying creature in the universe, she thought the nightmare was over. Something under the floor. It hadn't even begun. Coming straight for That's inside the room. Sigourney Weaver, Aliens, the new movie. This time, it's war rated R. Get away from her, you bitch, because this is Cinemarcade, the podcast about <laughs> movies, video games, and all the sparks that fly when those two worlds collide. Uh, my name is Steve Guntley, holding a flamethrower strapped to an assault rifle, and who else is joining me today? Uh, hi, I have a shotgun that is missing part of the barrel, um, because I'm a cool kid. True. Uh, oh, I'm also name. Justin. Yeah, yeah that's I have me. a pair of guns duct taped together for supreme efficiency. J-Band. Yes. yes. I mean, uh, that must be about as efficient as like holding the gun sideways <laughs> when you're shooting, right? Like the old 90s trope. Can confirm. Yeah, that is not confirm. accurate. Yeah, yeah. You can confirm. I think that would be a bad way to shoot things. We spent but. some time at a few shooting ranges. But uh, luck, I doubt, th- I doubt those shooting ranges were crawling with acid-blooded monsters, though. So no. uh, maybe it would have made a little bit of a difference. No, there were some Boy Scouts. Oh, yeah, same difference. Uh, so we're very excited. Today we are continuing our Aliens miniseries by talking about Aliens. That's right, the 1986 sequel to the 1979 Ridley Scott classic. This one is directed by James Cameron, who also wrote the movie, and it stars Sigourney Weaver, Michael Bean, Paul Reiser, Jeanette Goldstein, Bill Paxton, William Hope, Carrie Henn, and the great Lance Henriksen. Uh, holy shit, what a movie this is. <laughs> My God, I love this movie so much. Action-packed. Action-packed. I showed this to a friend uh, maybe two or three years ago. I, th- I, I watch this movie annually. I do an annual run of the entire Alien series. So, But a few years ago, I watched it with a friend who had never seen it before. And afterwards, he's like, all right, so I've, I've seen the term white knuckle on mm-hmm. a lot of like movie posters, and I never knew what that meant until watching this movie because yeah. he was actually gripping his seat. It's so relentless. It is so fun. It's just like a nonstop, like two and a half hour roller coaster of a movie. Yeah, I, I was watching it with Christian, and he was like standing up, coming back to the couch, standing up, coming back to the couch, <laughs> just like completely um, <laughs> enthralled of the movie. Oh, it's just so good. So good. Justin, is this first timer for you? Yes. Okay. All right. So what did you think of uh, all the action on screen here in Aliens? Uh, it was a good time. I. I had a vague idea of what the final fight was. Okay. Um, I actually thought that that was the ending of the first movie. Oh, with and the then I was battle. like, yeah. "Wait a minute the uh, the loader battle." Yeah. Technically. Oh um, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is really. I said it last week, but this is one of those series where, like, depending on the time of day and my mood and how the sun is casting shadows <laughs> in certain ways, like this is either my favorite movie in the series or the first one. They scratch very, very different itches, yeah. but they're both so exceptional at what they do. Uh, James Cameron actually described it pretty well. He said the first movie is kind of like a haunted house in an amusement park. The second movie is a roller coaster. Yeah. So you're still yeah. in the same theme park, but you're getting a different experience. Uh, the I love the movie Starship Troopers. Yes. Yeah. And uh, after watching this, so, so much was like, Either close or like direct homages, homages oh, yes. to to this movie. Re- quietly, um, one of the most influential <clears throat> movies yeah. of at least our lifetime. Well, yeah, it's not your life; it's our. It's Jay Ban and I's lifetime. But yeah. like, no, uh, honestly, though, uh, one of the most interesting and enjoyable characters in the Halo video games was based off of the sergeant in this game. Yes, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and so. Uh, it's 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 touched so many of the things that I enjoyed growing up between Halo, Starship Troopers, and really just the sci-fi genre in and as it's as a whole. Yeah. Uh so much can kind of be traced back to things like this. Um 
like they they set up you know automated sentry guns they fortified their position in a place that was very and it's like that is common in so many games in fact that's the thing that's what's so interesting about this game like yes this was influential to movies like the concept of the burly space marines and all these lingo that they're throwing at each other that was very influential and imitated many Mm -hmm. times but I would argue that this movie is more influential on video games mm-hmm. than almost any other film I can think of. Like again, you can you can trace so much of Halo back to the way the Marines in this behave. Yeah. Um, partly because the person who throughout most of the game series is in charge of all of the Marines around you yeah, is directly inspired by like very, very directly inspired by the character here. But then also Basically, just any like video game where your character has a helmet was probably inspired by this movie <laughs> yeah. to some degree, right? Like uh, regardless of the time period, like a little bit, like a lot of sci-fi helmets end up looking all the same. They look a lot like the helmets from this. Yeah. Um, there's points in like the Halo series again. I'm gonna reference that a lot right now. No, there's a lot of Halo. I there's a lot of aliens. So DNA much Halo. around this. The, the yeah. Halo series was the first game that I played. I was like, oh, this is art. There's a full score soundtrack. Like this is fucking great. Yeah. And uh, there's direct quotes that I was picking up and going, oh, I remember that from this cutscene or this section. Um, and so much of like just the background like marine dialogue when you're fighting or like in between fights and stuff. Yeah. Was so so close to like the stuff that you're getting throughout all of this. Yeah. Um I mean it's really incredible to see all the ripple effects and the fact that this movie doesn't feel like you know, sometimes you'll watch a movie and uh, it's it's like this is where the cliche comes from. But if you don't know that yeah. you're watching yeah. it and you think, oh, this is just a bunch of cliches. But this movie is still fun on its own. It doesn't feel dated. It doesn't feel like tired or anything like that. It's just kind of a blast from start to finish. Well, each individual like Marine and character has their own point of view and their own response to each crisis. Yeah. Uh, and so it's really it's more of a nuanced storytelling than like and, and sort of like an actual um, photograph of, of an actual team. And yeah. I, uh, so I really liked that about this. Uh, I also loved the linear decrease at some points it gets closer to exponential decrease of toxic masculinity in this movie where they start off all macho we can take on the world and by the end they're like oh my god dude we're all gonna die it is so insane that this movie has so much to say about like gender roles and like dynamics like that like this has been reappraised as kind of a post-feminist classic which i really am here for well it was something funny in the entry like they both made it it was very pro lgbtq because um she's like checking out ripley in the beginning uh vasquez's and then this other guy was like uh made it within a a a scarion and he's like yeah it was a man but it's like oh it doesn't matter it's still an scarion right Um, yeah which is also interesting because this is expanding the universe a little bit so now we know that there are other aliens in this universe right like there's aliens that we are apparently sexually compatible with on some level that's kind of a big reveal especially because we don't really see that followed up on yeah the other movie and i i thought that was an interesting thing uh that i'd kind of picked up on when they were introducing Ripley to them all and she was telling the story and they're like, they were talking because in my head, again, never having seen this movie, but having heard so many references to it, like Xenomorph to me was just the alien, but that's actually not the case. It's a broad classification. This is just the big one that you encounter Mm -hmm. during the movies. That's the thing, yeah. And we just kind of call it the Xenomorph. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the production of this because... Uh, J-Ban might know this. This movie has one of the most legendary, possibly apocryphal pitch meetings of all time. Do you know this story? Uh-huh. Okay, I so James Cameron, when he was rallying to get this gig, well, first of all, he was writing a spec script for this in 1983 while he was working on his breakout film, The Terminator. And so he had this kind of ready to go. He knew this is what he wanted his next thing to be. When he finally got the meeting with the Fox execs, all he did was come in, he brought a whiteboard, he wrote the word alien on the whiteboard, paused, oh, added an S I know this. at the end of the title, paused, <laughs> then turned that S into a dollar sign and dropped the marker. <laughs> that was his pitch, and it worked. I, it I, really I, worked. It's one of the cockiest, most bullshit things, if true, I, I, which I believe it's true, but yeah. I don't believe that's true. I mean, like, 
people want to make movies too much for something to be like that to be bold enough. Like, that's, I don't know. Yeah, I it's mean, that's a great story. I, that's the thing, though. Like, Cameron already, like, he had one and a half films under his belt, okay? He had The Terminator, which was an unexpected hit and uh, an all-time classic. We'll get to it eventually. Um, and he had uh, Piranha 2, The Spawning from 1981, <laughs> which he only directed half of and then walked out uh, because it was a terrible movie. Um, <laughs> but even with that, just that little bit, like, and, and before this, he was a truck driver in Canada, okay? That's his origins. He was a truck driver who then started working on special effects for movies and then became a filmmaker. But even at this early point, like the Terminator was a hit and he was already swinging his clout around to the point that his girlfriend at the time, Gail Ann Hurd, she got her start as a producer on this primarily because she was the one person on the cast who could stand up to him. <laughs> like she was the one person who was willing to tell him no. And she's gone on to have a very successful career. She produced uh, The Walking Dead, um, oh, wow. which is oh. probably just a, still to this day a money printing machine. Um, but Somehow. Yes, but initially, Fox didn't want to make this movie uh, for some reason. So it, it's hard to imagine now, but sequels used to be kind of seen as um, lower class, desperate, uh, not something that was a requirement. Uh, you know, so but we were entering into this new era of blockbuster filmmaking, starting with Jaws, you know, where and Superman movies like that, where all of a sudden it's not only profitable to make a sequel like fans are kind of expecting mm -hmm. it. And so uh, ideas for an alien sequel were getting kicked around for a couple years, but things got tied up because Fox uh, took some, we'll call them creative accounting uh, practices to write off the first alien movie as a loss, despite making more than like $200 million yeah. for them. Uh, they wrote it off as a loss so they wouldn't have to pay the producers. The producers ultimately sued the crap out of them, uh, which held up production on any kind of alien movie for a while. Sigourney Weaver originally did not want to come back because the first movie was pretty special to her and she didn't, uh, you know, again, sequels were thought of as just a cheap cash-in, just something that is going to diminish the legacy of the original film. But she liked James Cameron's script and uh, they got along and so she, she signed up for this. And this wound up being a really good move for her yeah. because this movie got her a Best Actress nomination at the Oscars. This made her the first woman to ever be nominated for a science fiction film. Like... Th one of the coolest nominations of all time, in my opinion, because it's just like genre stuff like this gets so overlooked, mm -hmm. like almost entirely, especially entirely, the, yeah. like if it gets acknowledged, it's for the visual effects, it's for the sound yeah. effects, it's things like that. And this did win Oscars for both of those. Um, but yeah, you never really see uh, the acting get noticed in movies like this. But Ripley has really become like very full formed as yeah. the character that we know, you know, like the first movie she's. She's young, she's by the book, she's stern, like she clearly has some grit and she's clearly able to survive the situation just by being smarter than everyone else. But she's not like the the super badass that she is in this. Yeah. But it, and it, but it, the amazing way that they write it and that they uh, that uh, uh, Weaver plays it is that this is not Rambo. This is not an, a Schwarzenegger character. This is not interchangeable. She still does get to be a vulnerable, rational human being. She's not just a mindless killing machine, but she will do whatever it takes yeah. to protect people. And that just, that makes her pretty incredible. Well, they've definitely upped the ante of her going after Jonesy to going after Newt. Yes. And the, a remarkably good child actor, because I'm a bit yes. of a, like, you, you've heard me talk previously about, like, yeah. sometimes child acting mm, yeah. uh, gets on my under my skin. And, like, this kid just really nails it. Absolutely She's great. nails it, it. It helps that they, I, I'll say, like, give her time. Like, at the start of the movie, she's not super vocal. Yeah. She's not very responsive. Um, and so uh, over time, though, you get to see that development, too, of, like, starting to talk a little bit more and feeling more comfortable. Um, and you see little ways where she's like bonding with Hicks and Hudson, yes. you know, like she clearly has her own little shorthand with them. Like she clearly has picked Hudson as her favorite, yeah. even though he's like terrified and like <laughs> not really in the position to be taking care of a kid. But she's clearly glommed on to him like, oh, you're the funny one. I like you. 
Uh, yeah, the actress's name is Carrie Henn. She did not do any more acting after this. She's a school teacher now and uh, d- does conventions once in a while. Apparently, she and Sigourney Weaver are still close friends. But oh, that's nice. Yeah, she didn't want to act anymore, um, which, you know, good for her. That's that's great. I like the idea that the ki- she's like, they get the kids get a sub one day and they're like, where were you? And they're like, oh, I was at Comic-Con. And they're like, yeah. what? <laughs> signing autographs for 100,000 people. Big deal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the rest I want to go into this rest of this cast because holy shit I love this entire cast. Um, we have Michael Bean. Uh, he's a, well. We have a couple of transplants from the Terminator. Michael Bean is one of them. He's mm-hmm. the the hero of that movie, and he plays Corporal Hicks here. Uh, I lo- I always like Michael Bean, especially in this era, because he's like he's like a, the uh, a, an old man trapped in a hot young man's body, <laughs> right? Like he's he seems prematurely grizzled. You know, there's just something about him that I really like. But I think his character here, again, like you were saying, Justin, like sort of rebelling against the toxic masculinity. He is he stands out from all the other Marines who are all like, hoorah, let's go in and kill everything. He's just kind of comfortable all the time. He's just cool as shit. And I really like him. And he immediately defers to Ripley when he realizes that she's the smartest person in the room. Early on, I did like a bit of a double take because, you know, this movie is kind of older. And I was like. That's not Timothy Oliphant, is it? Because that's <laughs> so much of who he reminded me of. Yeah, they've got a similar uh, vibe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. similar energy. Yeah. yeah, and then I was like, it's not. However, he's doing a great job, this person. Um, and it's it's a nice contrast from his character in Terminator, who is like by design very very high strung and very mm-hmm. serious. Like he gets to be a little more relaxed here, which is uh, which is a fun choice. Uh, also coming back from Terminator is Lance Henriksen here playing Bishop. Lance Henriksen, a pretty amazing guy. Mm-hmm. We covered him a little bit in my other podcast recently when we were talking about the movie version of The Pit and the Pendulum. Uh, Lance Henriksen was illiterate until the age of 30. Oh, wow. Uh, he learned to read after getting out of the Navy. And uh, then he... The Navy didn't teach him how to read? I, I'm sure he picked up some of it, but he he uh, uh, enrolled in acting school in London after getting out of the Navy and then became a really respected stage actor and uh, still going to this day. It's in his late 80s and wow. he's still very prolific. Uh, what a voice on that guy. Yeah, uh, such such a good voice. And it's a great character, uh, Bishop the Android, because yes. uh, we need him to be a different type of android than Ash. Yeah. Because the, the important designation here is that Ripley, you know, she, at the end of the first movie, she escapes in that pod and she freezes herself, hoping that someone would pick her up in a few weeks. She's been floating out in space for 57 years. Yeah. So things have advanced dramatically. Like technology is very different. Like all of these people are very different. And the company that she works for has been acquired by a different company. Yeah. And so now upper management's not the same. Exactly. Exactly. But still, their goals are still capitalist the same. jerks. Yeah. But yeah. but it, it, the people who were in charge of this is probably not around of the first movie to yeah. the second movie. It gives uh, it gives her a nice like kind of fish out of water uh, uh, plot line for mm-hmm. Ripley. It gives her kind of stronger motivation for why she wouldn't want to stay uh, in the safe space station. Yeah. Why she would choose to go on this mission because there's kind of nothing for her there. Um, but there's also like uh, I was not aware until I was an adult that there was an extended cut of this movie. I only mm-hmm. had the original theatrical cut on VHS, and the extended <clears throat> cut includes an entire subplot where they introduce that Ripley has a daughter, yes. who is now grown and deceased. Right? Like yes, she she, she, she she died at like sixty six or sixty eight. Yeah. And Amanda Ripley is the name of the character. She's the hero of Alien Isolation, the game that we were playing last week. So that's a whole thing about okay. Ellie, uh, Amanda Ripley. But I didn't know any of that watching this until like I was an adult. And I'm like, holy shit. I think the maternal themes still come through with her and Newt without yes. them actually saying. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I don't think you need that. Uh, I think that's a little like. A little extra, but in, yeah. in my cut, I just don't believe that you needed that at all. Because like you believe that Ripley would care about this child because this child exists. Yeah, and she's a good person, and she's like, yeah. And we all, there's also a scene where we get to see Newt with her family, which, again, I would argue is not really necessary. I like that she's yes. kind of a reveal. Mm-hmm. I like that they're, um, they're not expecting a child to be alive did, So then does that mean that the conversation she has later about her daughter, was that in the shorter cut or was that only in the extended cut? The daughter is not mentioned in the theatrical cut at all. She she yeah. has like a little heart to heart conversation with Newt about her her daughter. Right. Yeah. That's that's not in it at all. <clears throat> but 
Um, a little bit more about the cast. Bill Paxton, another yeah. person. Te- technically from the Terminator. He played uh, the thug in the beginning that Arnold Schwarzenegger punches in the heart. Um, but, yeah, he, he is uh, Corporal Hudson in this movie. Probably the breakout character of this movie. He's the, the frantic kind of comic relief guy. He's the shit talker who, like... Is just freaked out at all times. Game over, man. Game Game over. over. Game over, man. It's such a great line. His whole energy is just so funny and uh, so fantastic. I love Bill Paxton. And very understandable. Very understandable. Yeah. Yeah, He's the one person who is reacting. Like, he's kind of the audience surrogate in that way because all of us would be doing that. He starts off as kind of a toxic douchebag. Yeah. And then almost immediately it's gone and you're like, oh, so that whole thing was just an act, huh, buddy? Oh, yeah. It was all swagger it's all swagger he's a frightened little boy uh but you know he gets the job done when when you need him to he's Um, a frightened little boy who was apparently four weeks away from completing his uh yes uh, i still miss bill paxton we we lost him what is like almost 10 years now um, we lost like him that. a while ago. But I, he was I think so it great. might be closer to five okay. to seven. Yeah, probably around um, there. Because I know he was actually in Agents of Shield. Oh, okay. Um, as okay. a major character for the first season or two. That's right. Yeah, he and, did pop uh, up in that. Yeah. Um, but I don't know a whole lot about Bill Paxton uh, as a person. I just know that every time I've seen him on the on the in a show, yeah, he just seems like a probably a guy that was fun to be around as part of the production that's his reputation was just that's why he got so much work for so long i think people just uh enjoyed working with him uh also he and lance henriksen shared distinction both of them have been killed by a terminator (laughs) an alien and a predator oh yeah both of them have uh, both of that those two have that distinction and uh do do we know if he died in this movie uh Bishop? bishop No, he didn't, technically. He's a dandroid, but he does get killed he got... in Alien vs. Predator. Oh. Alien. oh uh, yeah, he, so. Spoilers. Yeah, maybe he, we can spoil that movie. He, did, he does get pretty fucked up in this movie. He sure does. He sure uh, does. Speaking possibly of fucked up, I do just need to bring this up because I want to talk about Jeanette Goldstein. Uh, Jeanette Goldstein, is a, she was a bodybuilder who got cast to play the role of Vasquez. Now... Jeanette Goldstein is not a Latina woman. Uh, she she is she is wearing body paint in this. If you've seen her in oh. other movies, oh. you might remember her as like the the Irish mother in Titanic. Oh, um, where she looks very very Ooh. different. Ooh. So there's some brown face going on here, and I think it's something that like people don't really remark upon very much, mostly because people love Vasquez. Vasquez is such an awesome like badass character. But that is something that kind of needs to be brought up. It's just that's not. Well, that's I, not yeah. I had no idea. That's Most people yeah. don't. Yeah. That's so weird. She's and I think that convincing. might be how they got away with it so much. That's that. the thing. Yeah, she's very convincing. Um, uh, but yeah, I don't believe she has any kind of Latino heritage. Um, so you know, it's it's kind of borderline, but it's you know, it's just something I wanted to toss out just to you know. Well, it's so interesting because like Vasquez is such a strong character, like, and that's unfortunate because like Vasquez is such a badass and like a like a different type of like feminine character that like is just I don't know like I really love the badassness that she brings to the screen. Yeah, and she's she's more than holding her own with all these like alpha dudes in her squad, you know? Like yeah, like you said it, it's implied that she's kind of like bisexual or at least like hetero fluid, you know? Like cuz she and um uh what is the guy's name? It's not for, I'm looking at my mug that has a Drake. She and Drake clearly have like a thing. I think they have a bromance. Like they're both heavy machine gunners. Like I don't know. Like I felt I got more bromance from that yeah. situation. There's, there's definitely there there's definitely a tight connection between those two characters. Um you know, so but she she is a fascinating character. She is great that it's like great that we have this, you know, 5 foot 5 like Latina woman as the bruiser. Like she's the muscle of the whole cr- group, which is pretty amazing. Uh but there, there is just that one element that casts a little bit of a uh, of a cloud over it. Um, yeah, so this movie uh, was a big hit. Came out, it grossed more than the first one, uh, and got uh, uh, more critical praise. I think uh, when you're when the most common complaint is that your movie is too intense, it probably means you're doing something right. Yeah, you know? but it was it was pretty uh, praised across the board, and I think it's thought of now as 
one of the best, if not the best, sequels of all time. Yeah, like it's definitely I, I in that conversation. Fair. Well, and it definitely does, like, uh, when you talk about sequels, like, what the point of a sequel is, like, mm-hmm. is, like, doubling down on a lot of things. And, uh, like, I really love this type of um, sequel where it changes genres. Yeah. Like, I feel like there's a very few examples, but I feel like, generally speaking, <clears throat> changing genres in sequels is, like, one of my favorite things to do because you really <laughs> explore the world. Absolutely. Uh, fun fact, Starship Troopers did the reverse where they started off with the Marines uh, movie. Yeah. And then they went to a more, like, atmospheric horror movie in the re- uh, the sequel. Oh, right. Yeah, um, they had those direct-to-video sequels. Bec- yeah. Because they, I I don't know if the second one was direct-to-video, but I believe everything that came after they was direct-to-video. Yeah, they, video. they all were, yeah. Uh, the second, because they went from having a budget of like $100 million to like $10 million. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, but I mean, you're, you're exactly right. And that's my favorite thing about this franchise is that every movie... They all, all four of these movies in this quadrilogy uh, are sci-fi horror films. I think you can fairly call them sci. They have elements of sci-fi horror, but they all have incredibly different feels. They all feel very much like auteur-driven films. Like a Ridley Scott film does not feel like a James Cameron yeah, film, true. which does not feel like a David Fincher the, film. Like so far, they have, it's it's the different balance between horror and sci-fi. Where the first one was more towards horror, yeah, and the second one was more towards sci-fi. Yes, but there were still elements of both present throughout each movie absolutely and you'll you'll see as we go on in the series like the three and four feel like totally different but still kind of of a piece mm-hmm. um to to varying degrees of success and i'm, I'm excited to go into those yeah but. i think it's the same thing where i think about like musical covers where i love it when a gr- i love watching covers of like not like I'm going to play this song exactly how they do, but like we're just going to like the Nine Inch Nails Hurt oh, being yeah, covered yeah. by Johnny Cash. Sure. Uh, stuff like that. I just love reimagining of those things. Mm-hmm. And this kind of touched on it in that similar kind of way of like it's not a remake, obviously. It, it's a sequel, yeah. but it's it's a different movie. It's a riff. It's it's riffing on kind of the same themes. Well, and it, but it still feels very much of a piece. It feels yeah. like this belongs in this universe. It's not like going from one Star Wars movie to the next, and they're all pretty close the same. Yeah. Uh, this was a, a drastic shift to a different almost genre entirely from going from uh, almost horror to closer to action. Or yeah. From very horror to closer to action movie. Yeah. Um, but then again, without dropping the DNA while doing right. it. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I just have nothing but love for this series. Like there's so many little standout moments from, from game over man to, you know, the, the ambush of the first time when the aliens come out of the walls mm-hmm. and it is really such a brilliant escalation. Like, Obviously, if the first movie is just one alien attacking like a small group of unarmed people, yeah. the second one should be a lot of aliens attacking a larger group of heavily armed people. And then we see how that balance shifts, you know, well, so they, like they definitely keep ratcheting up the suspense as the series goes on, like the ship uh, g- exploding, uh, the fact that they put the, a timer of like, oh, no, they've hit like um the core the core is going to explode in this many minutes like yeah there's a ticking time um clock on all of these like there was in the first one as well and they definitely brought it back for the second I, yeah upped the ante i like really how did. they they gave you what you expected without you realizing that that because going into this movie you're like okay well something's definitely happened here there's going to be more than one predator uh, more than one alien. alien yeah. uh, and then uh, you hit the moment where they're like, there's hundreds of these things. And you're like, that that's pro- that's what I would have expected out of that room of hundreds uh, to maybe even thousands of eggs hanging out. Yeah. Uh, I guess this is what I kind of thought was going to be. Here. I mean, all right. Speaking of <laughs> eggs, we have to talk about the alien queen, which means we need to talk about the special effects in this movie. Yeah. Which are, okay, these are by Stan Winston, generally thought to be the greatest special effects artist of all time. You know, he's up, he's definitely in the conversation with like Phil Tippett and, and uh, uh, guys like that. Uh, this Alien Queen animatronic is one of the most incredible things ever built for a film. It took 18 people to operate this wow. thing at the simultaneously. Ooh. It's got so much detail. It's actually the size that it is in the movie. Like it is actually oh. that big and that unwieldy. Uh, but you 100% believe it. Mm-hmm. It's such a haunting moment where 
you finally get to like uh, Ripley has uh, Newt. They're getting ready to go back to the ship and they wander into the nest and the music dies and the yeah. beeping stops and everything kind of gives out. So we can really live in that little quiet moment. We get to see the reveal of like this massive crested monster that's attached to this. Hudson big, was right. Yeah. Yeah. Is attached to this big like egg sack thing that's like spitting out these eggs. Every one of them is going to turn people into another alien. It is a ferocious, gigantic killing machine. And the fact that the way to combat this thing is with the uh, power loader, which is that big yeah. yellow suit that they actually built. That's a real thing that they are actually walking around in with all these animatronics. Uh, is such an inspired decision. The whole movie kind of sprung from that idea. It was James also Cameron wrote a script involving a power loader. Really interesting how they like they made the um, like they had demonstrations of intelligence by the aliens. Like yes. like she was like, oh no, don't like if you, you back off, back off aliens and don't kill my babies. And then Ripley's like, no, I'm gonna kill your babies. Yeah. And then she's like comes after her and she uses the fucking elevator. Yeah. Of just like okay, how smart is are these aliens? Ooh. Because th there was also the point early on, I say early on, but earlier on where you get that too of where they're like, the power goes out and like, they just cut the power? And the, uh, Hudson's like, they're animals, man. There's no way they cut the power. And that's when you start to realize they're thinking. Yeah. They're, they're strategizing. They're not just mindless killing machines like we may have assumed from the first movie. Right. Uh, because in the first movie, they didn't have to do that. Well, we did see them being crafty, though. We did see mm -hmm. them hiding. We did see them doing stuff. And so this was like that evolution of like learning about them of like, oh, OK, no, they, they're figuring things out They're and This is just great. Yes. Anding on, yeah. on Cameron's part, because like we really learn very little about the alien, its biology, where it comes from, how it's produced. We learn very little about that in the first movie. So it still gets to be this really cool reveal. We now know that. Yeah. Like, like okay they come from eggs so like you know it follows that similar to like bees or insects yeah. or ants or anything like that they probably have a queen uh and they drop that kind of like a throwaway line like in the middle of the movie like she just sort of plants the seeds she's like all right well there are hundreds of eggs per colonist who's laying all the eggs yeah well it's interesting you talk about the colonists because like the big sort of reveal that's not like very shocking was that Burke was in on it the whole time. Yes. Uh, oh yeah. We didn't mention Paul Reiser. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, Paul Reiser's character Burke, uh, like completely didn't, he sent 150 plus colonists to their deaths. Uh, and he doesn't care. And he, in, yeah. in, he deliberately tries to infect Ripley and Newt because he's just that much of a piece of shit. And he plays that so incredibly, yeah. I think because he is not like a slimy, like hand-wringing little weasel the entire movie. He is a good guy throughout the movie. He is supporting Ripley's choices. He is backing her 100%. And then he just sort of reveals himself to be like this manipulative uh, shit. Up until uh, he starts trying to take control of the situation, like everything he's done has been nice, kind, nurturing, um, it, he was genuinely seemed to be interested in helping uh, Ripley get, you know, better and deal with her issues. Yeah. Um, and she was he was also one of the first people other than the doctors that she saw when she came back. He was the mm -hmm. one who broke the news of the time passage. Yeah. And then to have him be the person who's like. Let's smuggle some aliens out. Yeah. Oh, you're not cool with that? And it's not even a scene of like him on the phone with his bosses or something like to indicate that. It's just him turning off a monitor. So yeah. creepy. We yeah, don't see so him creepy. planting anything. You just it's, like, oh, oh, he knows. Oh, she sets the rifle down and then lays down with Newt, mm -hmm. takes a nap, wakes up. The rifle's gone. Alien's free. The, that the, so the face intense. hugger. Yeah. And uh, so you know somebody took the rifle. And then, yeah, yeah. that cut away <laughs> and him just... Click. Yep. Oh, uh, yeah. That that's a great way to play characters yeah. like that. No, so few people have uh, followed his lead on it. It's always everybody makes it so obvious. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They make them an unlikable character in ways beforehand. Uh, and so having this, having that change too of like we have an android that she's clearly not at the beginning very excited about. No. Um, and then he says, oh. There's been new protocols put in place. I can't do that. And you're like, 
or can you? And that's that's an interesting <laughs> contrast too, because uh, Bishop is another one who is he's kind of playing the same role. He's very supportive. He's very straightforward, but you kind of suspect something's going to go wrong with him just because we know the shared history. We don't expect the same thing coming from Burke. He ends up being the absolute bro who puts things on the line to save Ripley. Bishop's a badass. Uh, It it becomes the incredible, pretty much the savior of the day besides Ripley. And then... uh, then we we need to see Burke was that his name? Uh, Burke, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. then then he quickly he becomes the face, and you're like, oh no. That is my one bummer is that uh, Burke dies off screen. We don't get to see yeah, what happens to, to Burke. He goes into a closet. We see an alien, and then we hear a scream. Yeah, um, uh, but we do get to see a little bit of milk spray because we've established yeah. in the first movie that androids are full of milk. So we're yeah. not going to not show that. <laughs> I, we got to show it. And boy, do they ever. Yeah, they do. Uh, poor Bishop gets bisected uh, by this alien, by the alien queen and then like thrown haphazardly into chunks uh, all over the ship. And He's the preferred fine. way, uh, last week's game, the preferred way the alien kills you is to like stab you through the middle with their, with their tail. Yes. That's exactly the way he goes. Yes. Uh, um, but yeah, so the the showdown at the end with with Ripley and the Queen in the power loader is so incredible. Get away from her, you bitch! What an <laughs> iconic line, so incredible. I mean, we were kind of at the, um, I guess we were sort of at the 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 forefront at this time of taking back the word bitch, mm-hmm. right? It used to be kind of just a way that men would uh, uh, derogatorily refer to women. This was kind of the beginning of like women sort of taking it back as a power statement, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is great. And Sigourney Weaver just puts so much mustard on it. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, I just love the way she says it. But yeah, uh, and we also get the kind of verisimilitude from the first movie of killing this alien by forcing it out the airlock, Yeah, which is uh, it's a great way to kill it because that's a horrifying death. We don't <laughs> yeah, think about it, it in movies, but that's a oh, horrifying death. It that's something I... Uh, if you can't tell, I like sci-fi. I love the show The Expanse so much. Right. And that is something that they absolutely kind of touch on is just kind of how terrifying those final moments out in space are. Yeah. Because uh, they they are moments. You yeah. don't live very long in a vacuum. Uh, no, no, uh, no. And the way that movies have chosen to demonstrate this has varies from either like turning into ice or your eyeballs exploding yeah. you know so mm-hmm. uh, we don't get to see that much detail from this alien but it is safe to say that it's not going to survive this yeah um what a movie what a goddamn movie uh you know it ends of course the same way that the first one does with survivor plural because there was a survivor in the first one then they added an s and then a dollar sign so now there's survivors mm-hmm. um Hicks makes it out and he gets a little acid burn and put under, but he's fine. It is also smart to take Hicks out of the equation for the final. Yeah. Yes. Like they don't kill him because we don't want him to die. But no, like, he's so likable. He's so likable, but he yeah. is. And and he and Ripley just have so much sexual oh, chemistry. Like, so, <laughs> they oh, are, the, the, they're the, burning through the screen. Sh- let me show you how to fire yeah. this rifle. Come on. Oh. And then she's like, the no, no. He's able to do Teach that without everything. seeming yeah. like patriarchal or yeah, like crude. Like, it shows how great of an actor it, he is because he's not he's not um, sanctimonious about showing her. No. And he's also like he's there, he's present, and he's sexy, but he's not creepy. Yeah. Like he, it's it's a master. And he, the, and the he respects is... the hell out of Ripley. Like that is the paramount the defining characteristic of Hicks is he respects the shit out of Ellen Ripley. And yeah. the I think the big thing was that there's a it's just a small moment and there's a few small moments that Newt has as we'd mentioned with some of the other characters. But there's a moment where they're all look I think it was when they're planning where they were going to put yeah. the sentries exactly and uh about. and newt is like to the side of of him trying to see and he like picks her up and holds her yes. while they're yeah. doing it and that was the moment where i was Quietly like paternal yeah. yes yeah. i was like all right this guy there's always the chance that that guy is going to be the one who turns later on but, and that was the moment where i was like i I will be crushed yeah. if he's the one. Oh yeah, There's a, you can get a husband in Hicks and a wife in uh, Vasquez. Exactly. In this, in you got that. Yeah. Everybody in this squad is just in a gigantic thruple. Like <laughs> they trade off. They they take turns having to have Hudson. Uh, but like that's the cool thing. It's like these marine characters turn out to be the good guys across the board. Even like Gorman, like the the kind of unctuous like 
commander who doesn't really know how to lead the squad turns out to be a pretty good guy in the yeah. end, yeah. you know, like he, he uh, sacrifices himself to save them, you know. There, and, there's the great moment where Ripley is like, we need to just get to the ship yeah. and nuke this this whole site from orbit. Yeah. And then Burke is like, oh, wait a minute. This is an expensive site. And this is the moment where I was starting mm. to be like, that's, I, that's the one little hint you get. Yeah, I don't is, know about you. Yeah, uh, that's, that's the one not, little indication that his motivations are not like yes, fully um, up and up. But then you immediately get Hicks. Uh, she Ripley's like, hey, uh, I, that's cool and all, but you're not in charge here. Yeah. Next in the com- chain of command is Hicks. Hicks yeah, yeah. is in charge. And you have that moment where it, it doesn't seem like any of them really had a second thought other than like, no, we're just going to nuke this thing. Yeah. Because they're not the capitalists in this movie. <laughs> exactly. They are care. They care about getting out alive. And yeah, they, so. they are the pawns of capitalism in this movie. And yeah. so when it comes down to capitalism or their own lives, they're like, nah, fuck it. Yeah, absolutely. Let, not. Let's burn however many billions this thing costs. Yeah, our job is to come in and save these people. They're all dead. We're getting the fuck out of here. Yeah, it's, I'm it's not. Bad. I'm not gonna. We're not dying risk for everybody property. here's lives yeah. for the man. Oh, Ripley's lines like this is a multi-billion-dollar installation. They can and so, kill me. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Once again, once again, the enemy of this movie. Was capitalism. It's yeah. going to be a continuing theme. <laughs> Wayland Utani is the big bad of this entire series, as we uh, will I, continue to see. One of the things that uh, people who are listening to this probably don't know, but y'all probably have noticed, I like shirts of companies that aren't real, like movies oh, yeah. and games. I'm absolutely going to get some shirts out of this. Oh, endeavor. get a Wayland Utani shirt. I think I yeah. have a keychain around here. Yeah, yeah, that broke, but I do have a keychain. Like, There's definitely material. Yeah. I sure. love to just wear t shirts that have logos, but I don't like. Like I don't wear a lot of band T-shirts because uh, I just a lot of people ask questions about band shirts sometimes, and I have to oh, explain sure. things, and I'm like I don't want to have these conversations. But nobody questions a company logo, and so it's just like all right, well let me just roll up with these random logos from games and stuff. Oh, the WT of, or the the W Y. Yes, yeah, and then the. Uh, Building a better tomorrow or whatever yeah. the tagline is. So good. So um, sinister. Yeah. Um, absolutely. So I played the uh, alien role playing game and it's so oh, interesting uh, because in it you get things called panic die. So every time you see something <laughs> fucked up, you get a panic die and you have to roll. Love and it. if you uh, if you get a certain amount of panic um like which are ones uh which ha- have little aliens on the dice uh you freak out and you like you go full auto or you um like have a freak out and can't go for a turn or like you you lose it just like Hudson loses it okay yeah. if, I, if I organize a game of this will you guys play this yeah I, I, I really want to so play it and, sounds fun uh I I love stuff like that so a uh, little bit of a nerdy bit here there's a, a season of yeah this is dimension, the nerdy part yeah there's a season of the Dimension 20 show where they implement a system like this, and I think it's a commonly regarded system, but basically the way it works is that uh, you start off with, like, let's say it's a D10, depending on what your mental situation is, and then you'll have, like, what the triggers are going to be to a degree, and it's, like, for how you could play somebody with PTSD or stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And then whenever, or, like, you're in a moment where everybody's on edge and you can panic, whenever you roll the die, you might get, like, a bonus from whatever stat is related to it. But then every time you fail, not only do you have a break, but you switch to a lower die and all of the numbers stay the same for yeah. your, like okay. your threshold. Okay. So now okay. you have more of a chance to panic until you can have yeah. a calming moment. You can have that nap with Newt, and, and then you get the next bigger die back. In this game, you also get everyone plays a, <clears throat> um, a Marine, and you have like secret like secret things. Where, like, oh, you're leaving the... Um, the force in four weeks um or i love like, that stuff you hate androids uh or i things like, that. like that it's it's so much fun and then it, like um my character was like you think you're the biggest badass that's ever lived <laughs> and like all of it fucking makes sense and that's why the the flavor stuff of like D and D five e i'm not the biggest fan of because it's like you only care about money and it's like that's the only one it's like you're supposed to roll a d6 and pick one of them and i'm like half of these will never be relevant to whatever we're doing today in this campaign and the like one of them is just you like money yeah it's like okay i mean i do yeah go, <laughs> go money go but give, like give me give, me, 
give me something more than that. Give me something like you are the macho. Like, yeah. And, like, obviously you come up with that stuff yourself. Oh, yeah. In 5e, I don't think anybody uses that system. They just make whatever they want. And they're like, I'm going to be the macho person. But so um, it's so – I mean, I feel like we've naturally transitioned yeah, the games here. I think yeah, so. I, I think, that's think so. a, that's a good time to talk about it. Like – this one's really interesting. Like we said, this one has such an impact on video gaming as a genre. Like I would say starting with like Contra in 1987. It's like that's basically just aliens, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, this is also the game with like the most direct adaptations, sequels, spinoffs, things like that than anything else we've covered. So some of the titles inspired by this movie – uh, Aliens, the computer game, Aliens, the adventure game, Aliens Online, Aliens, the Natos Encounter, Aliens, Colonial Marines, Aliens, Fireteam Elite, and Aliens, Dark Descent, which just came out this year. So in this case, we had to narrow down which games we were going to actually talk about. And I went with the games that I had. <laughs> um, uh, one of which is uh, uh, the 1990 arcade adaptation, which I have just because you can play it for free in your browser. And the other is the Nintendo DS game Aliens Infestation, largely because it shares some DNA with a game that we have talked about before. So let's get into that, starting with Aliens Arcade. It was released in March of 1990. It's developed and published by Konami, and it is an arcade exclusive. This never got a home console release, which is a shame because I think it's a really solid little side-scroller. It might have been too visually advanced to put on like the Super Nintendo or something, but... Uh, it was a big hit, too. This was Konami's second best-selling arcade console of that year, only after uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which oh, wow. was a huge game. Yeah, that was massive. Uh, this is a two-player cabinet. You can play as either Ripley or Hicks, although neither of them lent their likeness, so Ripley is very blonde in this. <laughs> uh, a move that we'll see happen in other games as, well, as we progress. Uh, they just, like, if they, if they don't lend the likeness, turn them blonde. Um, this is a run-and-gun shooter. You get upgrades to your basic machine gun. You get flamethrower attachments, smart bombs, things like that. Um, and this game, yeah, like we said, this is available for free on browsers. Like, you can just play it on your browser, and uh, you can give yourself infinite credits, which means that this is one of the games that we have actually rolled credits on. Yeah. Or I should say J-Ban rolled credits roll on it. You, you push that bitch into space. <laughs> After legitimately going... I think we're good, and we're like, no, no, no. Oh no, you <laughs> you're fighting one of the final boss. You're I almost was there. Lose my mind. You were at the <laughs> final boss. It was blinking rapidly, which everyone knows means it it's about to die. The countdown timer. And you're like, I'm gonna restart that from the beginning. Well, like, I was interested. I was interested to play it from the beginning because it seems fun. Like it was a really charming game. Yeah. No, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I mean, uh, it switches from like first person to like third person behind the back for a couple of sequences, like when you're fighting certain bosses or. Uh, racing down a tunnel. It's never in first person, sir. <laughs> oh, excuse me. It's I'm always sorry. in third person. From However, sides, it shifts from side scrolling to uh, behind uh, the back. Behind That's the what back. I mean. Yes, yeah. excuse me. Um, this is also kind of capitalizing on something that the Alien series was doing in general, which is introducing some really wild variants of the xenomorph that don't really appear anywhere else. There was a. Uh, action figure line around this time which was kind of my first introduction to this series my friend gave me one of these action figures oh, for wow. my birthday once nice uh, phone it's, lock screen it's a oh thank you <laughs> it's an evil dead <laughs> lock screen it's a very um the the figure i got was this very portly little alien this very squat little guy kind of sitting on his hind legs and he's got two aliens in his chest that you could launch like little missiles <laughs> oh you know that guy does not appear in any of the movies there's like a rhino alien and like some little spider aliens a bunch of different types and i think they were trying to kind of get kids excited about the brand yeah, which so. worked for me yeah. apparently um, but that's kind of what this is doing. You get a lot of like there's little flying ones. There's like uh, what was the one? It's just one that's just like heavily armored and there's, rolling around in a ball. Yeah, rolling around in yeah. a ball of like multiple aliens. Well, it, it's just that it was one big alien. Yeah, yeah. It looked like it was multiple aliens in a ball, but it turned out to just be one big jonky boy uh, who but, likes to roll. But the designs are cool. I mean, this is and the wise words is, of. Fred Durst. Oh, my God. Uh, oh, never again. 
Uh, this this is this does have a lot of cool like creature designs and a lot of cool like alien designs and little bosses. Um, very colorful aliens. Very yes. colorful. There's like pink and green and aliens. They're they're really kind of popping. And there are some aliens that change colors the more you damage them, so yeah. you get a sense of like mostly the bosses of how well the boss fight's going. There are zombies. Um, there, that's yeah. a weird addition to this. There, some of the corpses have come to life and are firing machine guns at you, like. <laughs> That does. That's the one thing that doesn't really feel uh, unified with the rest of it. But hey, I'm fine shooting zombies no matter what. Um, but this does kind of hit a lot of the same beats as in the movie. Like mm-hmm. it is clearly an adaptation of the movie, uh, including the final fight with the alien queen, uh, where you're in the power loader. You get yeah. to kind of drive around into power loader, which basically just has two, like like a one little smack. One yeah, it's like it's like one smack. Smack smack, 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 smack. You just gotta move your arm up and down and hope something gets in the way. It's like when you're fighting with your sibling when you're kids, you know, <laughs> like yeah. Um, solid little arcade game. Solid. Like I really, I never played this in an arcade. I've never actually seen a cabinet of this, but uh, it's a shame that it never got a proper home release. Uh, I'm sure there's all kinds of light license rights kind of tied up in that, but uh, but it's definitely an interesting, fun game, and you can play it just by googling Aliens Arcade, like. The first link that comes up is play on your browser, so it's very easy to do. Um, the other game we talked about was Alien Infestation. All right, so this game came out on October 11, 2011. It's developed by WayForward and Gearbox, and it's published by Sega. And this is a Nintendo DS exclusive. So one of the few handheld games we've played uh, on the yeah, show. And it, uh, one of the ones to include major companies, Gearbox yeah. and Sega. Absolutely. Gearbox, uh, Sega was the publisher, but Gearbox, yes. well-known uh, creators of many things, including uh, Borderlands mm-hmm. and some other stuff. At this time, they were developing a game uh, for the PS3 called Aliens Colonial Marines, Ooh. which is famously one of the most troubled video game productions ever like it, it went, went way over shit. budget like there were a lot of like staff turnover during the time and the game finally came out and most people agree that it's kind of not done um yeah. it's it's kind of a famously bad game but they were supposed to be developing a handheld version at the same time and because of all the turmoil gearbox wasn't able to do it so they outsourced it to way forward technologies now we remember them because they are the developers of the the very se- the second game we ever talked about, the Mummy Demastered. Oh. I was uh, g- thinking that it felt very very much like that. Yeah, yeah. This is kind of the prototype for that game. Which uh, similarly, they're both kind of Metroidvania style mm-hmm. games with unique dying mechanics. The mechanic here is that uh, you start off with a squadron of four Marines, and they if if you lose one of them, they are permanently dead. Uh, once that one dies, then you just send in the next Marine to go recover his gear and try and get a little further. You can recruit up to 15 new Marines. They're hidden all around the complex, but uh, this unfolds in the same way. It's kind of like Metroid in that you have uh, a map that you're gradually building out as you explore, and you need to find certain items to access certain obstacles. Uh, But we didn't get too terribly far in this we one. We never made it to an alien. We never saw an alien. We made it to robots, and we were fighting some androids. Absolutely. Uh, I think this game looks great. Uh, yeah. I, I love this kind of like pixely style. I, I'm also a sucker for a Metroidvania style game. Like that's just kind of mm-hmm. whatever reason that just really scratches a primordial itch for me. I like yeah. filling out a map. I like yeah. exploring every little nook and I cranny. Think, I think the hard part for me is that I'm just not the biggest fan of like the DS and the 3DS and stuff because I don't want to use this stylus for the bottom screen while I'm playing. And I don't uh, think this one really requires it very but much. But the, the touch sensitivity for, like, thumbing it, which is typically the fingers that are going to be around there, yeah. isn't the best. Yeah. So it just feels a little out. Sometimes I would have to hit the map, like, six times to get it to go away. Um, which is probably something that you can get used to the more you play it. but It's an interesting thing with DS and especially 3DS. These are systems designed on a very specific gimmick. They became successful, but only in the later days when they started trying to negate all of their gimmicks, when they started kind of trying to just make more straightforward yeah. games. Like the 3DS had a new variant release just called the 2DS, which removes like the thing that kind of made this novel just because like people wanted to play more traditional games. And because also certain people, uh, me included, even with 3D disabled, if you played the 3DS for too long, you'd get a headache. Yeah. Um, 
So I, I had a 3DS, I had a couple of Pokemon games, and I couldn't play them because regardless of uh, the 3D setting, I would get a headache after 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's it. I, I always find that functionality pretty incredible. Like, still to this day, I'm like, oh, wow, they managed to make, like, actual 3D effects without glasses. Uh, but it does drain the shit out of your battery, and you also need to hold your head so still while you're playing it that it kind of makes it a little less fun it's a cool little novelty but it's not very uh yeah practical we no 3d effects in this game of course what but. we've learned what nintendo has learned is that the gimmicks work well at the start but then after a little while people get bored of them yeah and so that's why the they went from the wii to the wii u which had a different gimmick yes and then uh soon people stopped caring about the gimmicks in that either and then Pretty they immediately. just they just made the switch which was basically the successor to the 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 DS line. Yeah, it kind and, of fused it and sort of like eliminated their handheld yeah, market entirely. Uh, got rid of the the dual screens. Yeah. Went down to one screen. Uh I think the Switch might have touch screen, but I don't actually know. It, it does. Yeah. It's I don't weird. think anybody uses it. Yeah, it's got like very weird limited like touchscreen and motion controls too. And it's like, it's because it's it's there and it's up to the developers to implement. And they're like, no one's and no one's going to care enough for us to invest the money into yeah. making this mm -hmm. these features work. Um, because then also the other trick to that is uh, you can dock the 3ds and play it on your TV like a console. Yeah. And uh, your TV's probably not touchscreen. Mine is I don't not. think any Mine TVs are really touchscreen. That'd be an inconvenient so thing. So then it's like, all right, well, now those features are gone, so the game has to be fully playable without them. Yeah, that's what makes porting DS games so yeah. difficult in and a lot so of cases. And so Nintendo has time after time made gimmicks yeah. and then realized that while the gimmick was cool and fun, it got old and then dropped it and moved on. Yeah. Um, but to get back to Infestation, yes. uh, this takes place after the events of Alien, which kind of doesn't or of aliens which kind of doesn't really make sense because they blew up the planet at the end so it might be i don't know exactly when it takes place in that little liminal space between one and two but you do go onto the Sulaco and you go on to lv426 to uh explore a little bit and encounter all these alien beasts i've i've made it further into this game in the past i've never beaten it because it does get very very hard but the problem we ran into when we played The Mummy Demastered, that game had a pretty interesting dying mechanic, which is if your character dies, it leaves behind a zombie that can attack you. and you need With to all of your equipment. With all of your equipment. You come back as somebody with no equipment. Exactly, which proved to be pretty frustrating after a while because we kept just like getting killed and losing all of our equipment and, and there'd be three like, zombies in the same place because we died exactly they just keep zombie. they just keep multiplying fun fact we died uh because there were enemies there not because <laughs> it was an easy part of the level usually exactly so it's like all right well we have to fight the enemies that killed us when we had all of the gear and fight us with all the gear yeah um, I, I feel like this is a more practical application yeah, of so. that kind of idea like your your marines are not going to come back like, the point is that they're gone. But you do have, like, named characters that you might get attached to just because, mm -hmm. like, human beings will get attached kind to things the, with names. Kind of on the roguelike train. A little bit. To a degree. Um, um, but, yeah, like we said, we, we played for a good little chunk of time here and never encountered an alien. It takes a bit to get yeah. to it because initially the threat is just rogue androids, uh, which is a similar attack that Alien Isolation took because they only have one alien in that, but you need other enemies, so you have a bunch of rogue androids mm -hmm. um so yeah it, it is a little dissatisfying to plug in a game called alien infestation and it takes like <laughs> a good 30 to 40 minutes before you see an actual alien in it um but i've yeah like i said i've made it fairly far in this but yeah i did hit a wall because eventually it just becomes pretty overwhelmingly difficult okay um which is something that like i think way forward does a really good job designing these little 2d games and coming up with some really novel yeah. ideas but the the ideas don't always coalesce perfectly with the gameplay or with the level of challenge um we'll we'll play some more of their games in the future where i think they got the balance pretty right um and this one is a step in the right direction ironically because we're moving chronologically backwards this <laughs> game came out six years before the other mummy game that we talked about but uh, I, I, I still think they're really innovative and interesting developers that always put in more work than they need yeah. to. 
Um, Which so. is always a good thing. It's uh, always well, welcome. As it's usually a good thing. Sometimes yeah. they put uh, more work into things, and you're like, "This doesn't need to be here." <laughs> hey, you know, I will, <laughs> we could have put will, this work somewhere else. I will always take useful. that over like just but, indifference. You know, like yes, these guys have made like Lizzie McGuire games that like could probably have just been tossed off, and they made them pretty well. Like they made <laughs> they made Sabrina the Teenage Witch games that are quite fun. Wait, are you gonna say we're gonna watch the Lizzie McGuire movie later? Uh, we might. We might. I got to check if there's a game for the movie. There's definitely games for the show, but yeah, we might. Um, but yeah, Lizzie McGuire, uh, I think she would have made a pretty good colonial <laughs> marine, right? Yeah, she would have been I a good space marine. She would have been a fine space marine. I think she would have done great. Lock and load, five by five, in the pipe. Um, yeah, this movie also just invented a lot of like great military sounding nonsense. I love that. <laughs> All right, people, assholes and elbows. You know, like, what does that mean? I don't care. <laughs> he says it with a cigar in his mouth. He's great. At what point do assholes and elbows come into this? <laughs> funny when people are smoking on spaceships i love yeah. it yeah they're not worried about explosive decompression i guess they got that part well in theory out. the hole's going to be able to withstand whatever their cigarette or yeah. cigar is going to do it's more about the air filtration system yeah. <laughs> apone comes out of his fr frozen pod with a cigar in his mouth like he pops out and just like i yeah so you know that's a choice uh, but that's Aliens. Uh, do we have any final things to say about Aliens before we uh, move on to Rangers? I really loved the music in Aliens. Oh, yeah. Like, yes. I thought James it was a Horner. good mixture of uh, action, adventure, um, music, and silence. So I thought that was a really great uh, teaming of the first movie. And yeah. uh, action, delicious action sequences. So propulsive. Really great use of horns. Like, really great. Th this is one of those scores that's in, like, every other trailer mm -hmm. like for for like a decade after its release like anytime you have an action movie you need the ding 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 yeah like you need that intense music uh pretty great and uh james horner apparently had to throw this score together kind of last minute because james cameron's shooting style was so erratic at this time and uh, uh he had to kind of throw it together but it's pretty amazing yeah um, well, let's move on to well, our... I've, oh, yeah. I have one little mini fun fact. Please. Uh, and this goes back to Halo again. It's a little trivia piece. Uh, in the Halo series, especially 1 through 3, uh, depending on what difficulty you're playing on, the dialogue might change. Oh, yeah. So certain lines will be different. A lot of Sergeant Johnson's lines are different depending on what uh, one you're on. But near the beginning of Halo 2, it's where, uh, spoiler alert, the aliens come to Earth. Oh, yeah. And uh, there's a point where you're – I don't remember what difficulty it's on. It might be one of the higher ones. But you're like – it's a cut scene. You're about to do some cool badass stuff. And you can just hear the radio chatter of the space battle and stuff going on in the background. And you can hear somebody screaming uh, – Game over, man. Game over. Of course. You uh, got it. Uh, so, yeah. That's printed on the back of the box for yeah. Alien Infestation. Yeah, it's just kind of become like the tagline. Um, all right, well, let's move on to our rankings. Is this a good movie, bad good game, bad movie, bad game, or somewhere in between? Uh, I think I've tipped my cards on this one. I think this is a no. great movie. <laughs> uh, fantastic movie. So much fun. Uh, so influential. And I thought both of these games were solid for, for different reasons. I, I think I do want to spend a little bit more time with Infestation and uh, uh, really kind of see it through and see how much further I can get. Because I love the idea of this game. If the execution doesn't always kind of come together for me, um, you know, I, I think it's still worth the effort of going through it. And this arcade game is totally solid. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's a great film. Oh, Tony the great Tiger. Film. Oh, uh, and a uh, a good game. Like I, I, it, the the arcade. I love arcade games, and I think they're just so charming, especially when you have unlimited quarters. Yes. Uh, like you can just really enjoy the game with before you get frustrated by it without um, burning through your allowance. Yeah. And it's just like it's so much fun because you get to see you get to play it and you get to roll credits as opposed to spending like twenty five thirty bucks to roll credits. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because we, we used a solid 30 credits, I think. At least. Uh, yeah, we, at, yeah, you die pretty easily. At, like, game. minimum. Um, yeah. Uh, sorry, did I? Did you yeah, have anything else? Okay. Uh, yeah, I thought it was a good movie. It was a great time. Uh, I, again, it's straight up my alley in terms of the genre and things that I like. Yeah. And it was very well executed. You had a lot of, like, you had group fights. You had individual fights. Um, you it basically covered almost everything you'd want to see 
um, in a movie like that. Um, and the games are fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think uh, the arcade game, it's all pretty much been said, but it was just a fun, especially, again, having less pressure. It was nice, chill to play. Um, I think the, the 3DS game, or DS game or whatever. DS, yeah. Uh, it, uh, I think it had, there was less enemies in it than the, uh, da, 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 the, the mummy one. game. Oh, yeah, the mummy, yeah. And yeah. Uh, I think it was potentially going to be better at having, like, the suspense in the, the kind of thriller aspect to it. Um, so I think that would have been fun if that is the way it went. Yeah. Uh, we didn't really get far enough to do that. The androids weren't very suspensey. They weren't super terrifying. Um, but I imagine once we started encountering actual aliens, it probably would have uh, kicked off and been much more. Uh, yeah, it gets much ac- more action. heavy. Yeah, more uh, more anxiety it. about death. For and, sure. uh, Especially and, you get yeah. attached. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Our <clears throat> Alien series is continuing in earnest. Next week, we are talking about Alien 3, or Alien Cubed, if you want to just pronounce how it's stylized. Uh, <laughs> a hugely divisive movie that I go to bat for hard. I'm going to talk about it next week because it'll be my third podcast in as many months talking about Alien 3. I'm excited to get into it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what you guys think of it, too. I, I'm excited to revisit this because I have the vaguest memory of it, and I don't even know whether or not it's the right one that I have the memory of. That's I'm, the, yeah. I've become a big David Fincher fan, yes. so I'm, I'm really interested to see like the me knowing who David Fincher is now as an adult, seeing his natal, nascent uh, efforts. Yes, yes, very much so. Uh, and, yeah, it... If, if you have the time, listeners at home, too, if you have the time to do both versions, there's a theatrical version, and then there's an extended version called the Assembly Cut, which adds a half an hour that kind of f- fills in the gaping plot holes that were left in the theatrical film and, like, adds a really interesting new storyline and kind of kind of fixes a lot of the people's problems with the movie. So um, worth checking out both if you have the chance to get the contrast. I've recently watched both in a row, so um, I'm I'm prepped to talk about it. But if you have a chance to catch the assembly cut, that's a really interesting movie. I'm just really sad that there isn't two S's at the end. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And just put Aliens. another S. Just keep them going and make them snakes. Yeah. yeah. That's legitimately the thought I had. I that's was like, the move. Hey, they are snakes at one point in their life. Yeah, they're little guys. They're little guys who pop out of chest and snake around. All right, folks. Well, we will see you next time for Alien 3. Lock and load in the pipe. Five, 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 five.